So Jesus, learners and followers, and I hope, my brothers and sisters, that all of us will be learners and followers till the end of our lives, that there will never come a time in our life where we feel we have learned it now. There'll never come in our life, a time in our life where we feel, now I can teach everybody else, I've got nothing more to learn. Once that happens, you know you've missed the road. There's no person on earth, no believer, who can ever say that I have learned it all. And many people have, after learning something, felt that, well, now I know everything, and they've started backsliding. Always take the position that God can speak to you from the least member of the body of Christ. If you take that position, that the least member of the body of Christ can teach you, then uh, you'll be saved. Now, you know, whenever you hear something like this, our mind begins to take it as a doctrine. We have a tremendous tendency to take everything that we hear and put it down as a, a rule. Our love is to live by rules rather than by life. And Adam went to the tree of knowledge of good and evil rather than the tree of life. It is a tendency that we find in all of us to live by rules rather than by life. It's much more difficult to live by life because you've got to be in touch with God the whole time. It's much easier to live by rules where you've understood a rule and you seek to follow it. So you see, for example, we say um, something like, every brother and sister in the body of Christ is valuable. Of course, that's true. Every brother and sister in the body of Christ is valuable. And uh, there's something that we can learn from every member of the body of Christ. It's absolutely right. And um, like I said the other day, if you take this position that every brother and sister is superior to me in some area, in the area where God has gifted him, he's superior to me. Um, and in that area I can learn from him. That is like saying, even if you've been a believer for 30-40 years, see a very muscular man, his hands cannot see as clearly as the eye of a little baby. Because the hand was not created to see. So even though he's a muscular 30 year old man, that little baby's eye can see more clearly than his hands. That's just an illustration. 
that in my area where God has gifted me, I may be tremendously gifted and very, very strong. And another brother who is just a year old in the Lord, who is gifted in a totally different area, can in that area bless me. And if I am humble enough to adopt that attitude towards all of God's people, I will become a very, very wealthy person spiritually. And I don't mean just all of God's people in our churches. We work together in little groups because it's much easier to work in little groups than with thousands of people in a church. God wants to build families and not organizations. But there are many other believers out there in other groups and I for one want to keep my heart open to every godly person there is on the face of the earth um, to see something I can learn from them. Now as I said we can make this a rule and the way we apply that rule in the assembly is we say okay now we're going to get everybody to get up and speak. That's not the meaning. Just because we got to learn from one another doesn't mean that everybody's got the ability to speak. And then what happens? <clears throat> we say, we got to learn from one another, we got everybody to get up and speak, and a lot of the meeting becomes very, very unedifying because we are following a rule book. A rule book which says we got to learn from everybody. But is it only in the meeting that you learn from everybody? I'll tell you quite honestly my testimony that I have learned a lot from believers who are much younger than me in personal fellowship with them. It's not only in the meeting that we learn from people. The meeting is a time for edification. And it says, let all things be done for edification. And not everybody has the gift of edification. That doesn't mean they can't be a blessing to me. But who said the meeting is the only place? What about personal conversation? I have been so immensely blessed in the last 27 years through personal conversation with so many, many, many brothers in, in the churches. I've learned a lot. It's not what they shared in the meeting. They may not have much gift in the meeting. So don't make a rule out of this and say we're going to learn from everybody and have a very unedifying meeting by getting a whole lot of people to stand up and say things when they don't have any gift to say anything. That may not be their gift. Don't force a hand to see. Don't force a ear to see. That's not their gift. The eye can see, the tongue can speak. So, but our heart must be open to all of God's people because like it says in Ephesians, let me read you this verse, Ephesians chapter 3. It says here in Ephesians chapter 3, That we may be able, verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints. Now listen, with all the saints, with with every believer you can ever come across. What is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That means... The love of Christ cannot be understood by knowledge. It's as you fellowship with all of God's children. 
And you hear how God has dealt with that brother and how God has dealt with that other sister. And your heart is open in love. A fellow maybe belong to another denomination. So what? God's worked in his life. And um, I'm blessed when I hear their testimonies. My heart is open to be blessed by them, to hear how God has challenged them and encouraged them. And from their testimony, I learned something about the love of Christ through them, which I would have missed if I had not been willing to listen to that young brother as he shared his testimony with me. Or something else that he saw in God's word. Yeah, I can think of numerous instances where I have been enriched. So I want to encourage all of you to always be humble enough to keep your heart open to all of God's people. Don't have a prejudice against someone saying, well, I can't learn anything from them. No, if this person's a born-again child of God, according to this verse, it says, with all the saints, only we can understand the greatness of the love of Christ. And if you keep your heart open, you may not be able to work with all of them. I find that with lots of believers, I'm not able to work because they have different convictions, they have different opinions and views um, on money matters, on matters of doctrine, baptism and things like that. They have different opinions. We cannot work together, but that doesn't mean I can't keep my heart open to them and fellowship with them. So, <clears throat> we've been thinking about discipleship, always being willing to learn, and God doesn't always speak to us directly. He can speak to us through others of his people. So to be a learner means <clears throat> my heart is till the end of my life, I'm going to say I haven't learned fully all that there is to know about the love of Christ. And I want to learn it. And God can teach me through so many people in different places. People who are completely different from me. If you cut off some brother just because he's poor or uneducated but he loves the Lord, you are going to be poor. <clears throat> One of the reasons I have made an effort to learn the Tamil language, even though I still make lots of mistakes, but my Tamil brothers forgive me for that, is because that is the only way I could fellowship with brothers who I believe could enrich me. Yeah, and I'm, I want to be enriched. Otherwise, I would have been a little poor. If you cut off somebody saying, oh, I can't speak that language well. Can you speak it a little bit? That's all I could do. I spoke it a little bit with all types of stupid mistakes, but I got enriched. I say, I'm not bothered whether my grammar is right, and they're not bothered whether my grammar is right. We're interested in fellowship. And those of us who are, seek our honor so much, that they say, no, 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 unless I can speak the language perfectly, I will never speak. You will be poor all your life, because you seek your own honor. There's a tremendous amount of honor seeking in the church. You don't realize how much you seek your own honor, and because you seek your own honor, you are so poor. Brother, sister, die. Die to seeking your own honor. And seek fellowship. Open your heart and even if it's in broken words, seek fellowship and you will be enriched. So, <clears throat> we were looking at Luke chapter 14. 
in the conditions of discipleship. And we saw that the first area is in relation to our family members, that we don't let an attachment to our family members hinder us from being disciples of Jesus Christ. The Lord expects us to be radical towards father, mother. And I say, we've got to understand this in balance. The only person who can learn to hate his father and mother, who is the person who has first learned to honor his father and mother. You've got to go through the old covenant to come to the new covenant. You've got to be under law before you come under grace. The law is our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. That's what the Bible says. So you've got to first learn to honor your father and mother, which is the Ten Commandments. That's what Jesus did in Nazareth. Then you can learn, like Jesus, to say to his mother, What have I to do with you, woman? My hour has not yet come. He said that when he was 30. But who was the one who said it? One who had honored his mother for 30 years. Now, if you've never learned to honor your father and mother, you're not ready to hate them. There are a lot of young people in the world who are delighted by the message of hating father and mother. That's the message I want to hear. I want to be in a church where they teach us to hate our father and mother. In fact, I started doing it long before I came to this church. Well, you did it wrongly. You're not, that's not message not for you, brother. It's not for you. You got it all wrong. If you haven't honored your father and mother in the days when you were at home, you're not fit to receive that message. You got it all wrong. You got to honor your father and mother all their life. But when it says, when Jesus said you got to hate, what he means is that you must not let them or their tears or their pleadings prevent you from following Jesus and doing what God wants you to do. You shouldn't let their pleadings make you marry an unbeliever when Jesus says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's the meaning. You've got to love Jesus so supremely that father, mother, and even wife and children take second place. They all come down. They, they don't, no brother and no sister. If Jesus takes the place of Jesus in your heart. And you've got to preserve that. You've got to preserve that. Some of you young people may come one day to the place where you fall in love with somebody. And today you may be a disciple of Jesus because you haven't fallen in love with someone. And you're absolutely sincere. But your sincerity will be tested in the day when you fall in love with somebody. And you want desperately to marry that person. Boy or girl. And then you'll discover whether you're a disciple of Jesus. I've seen lots of young people who become backsliders as soon as they are married. They hated father and mother, but they don't know how to hate their wife. That's also a condition of discipleship. That wife is not going to hinder me from becoming a disciple of Jesus. I've seen umpteen young people who became backsliders as soon as they were married. Why? Why do you have to get up and become a backslider when you get married? Every step, if God led you into marriage, your marriage should lead you closer to Him. How can God ever lead me into a step that leads me back? Then God didn't lead you into marriage. I know my marriage led me closer to the Lord, not away from Him. And everything that God leads you into will always 
take you closer to God. It has to be. So, but we've got to put the Lord first. And that's the first condition. And then we see, there's one part of it which I left out. It says in Luke 14, 26, you've got to hate even your own life. Otherwise you cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 26. Now the reason I left that out was because it carries on into the next verse. And that's what I want to speak about a little bit today. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now in a perfect world where Adam lived in Garden of Eden, there was no need for a cross. There was no need for death. The word death was not needed in the Garden of Eden. But as soon as Adam sins, death became necessary. In fact, it says that God killed some animals and clothed Adam with those skins. And in front of the tree of life, he put a flaming sword to go round and round that tree of life, which was not there before Adam sinned. As soon as Adam sinned, the sword came around the tree of life, teaching us that sin, as long as, because we're in sin, if you want to come to the tree of life, there's a sword there. A sword that fell upon Jesus on the cross and a sword that must fall upon us if you want to get to the tree of life. Listen to this. There is no way to get to the tree of life today except via the sword. And that's the cross. The cross that slays that Adamic life that we have all inherited. And if you avoid that way of the cross, you will not partake of the life of Jesus. No matter what experience you have of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, no matter what knowledge of scripture you have, you cannot partake of the life of Jesus if you avoid that sword falling upon you and the and Jesus said, it's something we have to experience every day. There are certain things we need every day. We get baptized in water just once. But the cross is the one thing that Jesus said we have to take up daily. In Luke 9:23, he said, If any man comes after me, let him take up, deny himself and take up his cross daily. That means every day of my life. If I want to be a disciple of Jesus, I have to say, Lord, I want to die to the life of Adam today. I carry around with me a thing which the Bible calls the flesh. And if I don't allow the sword of God to fall upon that every day of my life, I can never live the life of Jesus. Whatever experience we may have had, Whatever understanding of truth or doctrine or anything we may have had, there is absolutely no way to the tree of life except the sword falls. The sword fell on Jesus and Paul understood it. He said, I also am crucified with Christ. And when we begin to taste 
of this wonderful tree of life, the more we taste of the life of Jesus, we begin to love the cross. We begin to love the sword falling upon us because we discover that the sword is only cutting out the cancers from my life. It's not cutting out the good things in my life. It's cutting out the cancers. It's cutting out this wretched life of Adam. And I love the cross. For example, let's take talk of it in practical terms and not in symbols. Supposing somebody does some harm to me. And I'm sure all of us sitting here have experienced somebody who has done some harm to us or we imagine that somebody has done some harm to us, whatever it is. Somebody has done some harm to us and you know, as I know, how the life of Adam would react when somebody speaks evil about you. For example, if somebody has spread a bad story about you or spread a bad story about one of your children, you know how the life of Adam would like to react to that person. And supposing that person is somebody in your local church. You know how the life of Adam will react to that. And you get a delight in reacting. That's the life of Adam gets a delight in paying him back in the same way he paid me. That's what the life of Adam wants. And you choose that way. You're saying to God, whatever you may have said in the meeting makes no difference. In that moment, when the life of Adam invites you in a certain direction and you follow it, you're saying to God in that meeting, God, I've had enough of your life. I Give me a few moments to just react to this person with the life of Adam and then I'll come back. That is the moment when God really finds out what you really want. Today in the meeting when you say, Oh God, I want the life of Jesus. God says, No, I don't. <laughs> That's just emotion. Uh, you think you're sincere, but you're not really sincere. It's emotion because you heard a stirring message. Somebody worked up your emotion and you say, Oh God, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want eternal life. I want the life of Jesus. And you, I really believe, you think you are sincere, but God says, let me test it out. You know, just like, supposing a child said, uh, Mommy, I do very well in maths except in the examination. I know everything about maths, but examination day I somehow forget everything I've learned. All the other days of the school year, I know everything about math. But every time an examination day, I don't know, somehow that day I forget everything. What would you tell that sincere child who really believes that every day of the year he knows everything about math except on examination day? You'll tell him, listen, all the other days you think you know 
But examination day tests you. And that's how it is. It's when that person has done some harm to you or done some evil to you, that's the day, your, that's your examination day. Till then you are not examined. And every day you sat in the meeting and you thought you are wonderfully spiritual, just like that child sits in school and says, I know all about math. Yeah, yeah, he really thinks that he knows everything about math. Just like you sit in the meeting every day and you think you're very spiritual until the examination day comes and you fail and you say, oh well, I failed only that day. That's like the child saying, listen mommy, I failed only on examination day, don't forget. All the other days I didn't fail. Only on examination day I failed. And that's how you say, ah, that happened only once brother, just once. Well, that is the only time you were tested. All the other time you sat in the meeting, you were not being tested. That is the moment where God asked you, do you want to take up the cross? Now today, if God were to come down right now and say, how many of you want to take up the cross every day? Oh, all of us would raise our hand. Yes, Lord. Sure. And I believe you are absolutely sincere, but you don't realize how much you love yourself. You don't realize how much you love your Adamic life. The cross teaches us to hate that life. Now, I just want to draw a little distinction here. We don't have to hate ourselves. We got to hate the Adamic life. It is Hinduism and heathen religions that say, we got to hate myself. I gotta hate my appetites. I gotta hate. And uh, Roman Catholicism in the early days used to teach people to hit themselves and hurt themselves. And you know how people crawl on, roll on the ground and hurt themselves because they think hating yourself is the way to become spiritual. It's not true. I don't hate myself. The Bible says nobody hates himself. Ephesians 5. But this Adamic life, this flesh, that's what I've got to hate. There's something in me. Jesus never... You read the Bible. He never said you've got to hate yourself. He said you've got to hate your life, he said. That life you got from Adam. That's the thing you've got to hate. Um, you know, if you keep on hating yourself instead of hating that Adamic life, what will happen to you is you'll become a, a person who's got very low self-esteem. You say, oh, I'm good for nothing. I'm just rotten. Some people have misunderstood what, it, what Jesus said. He never said you've got to hate yourself. He said you've got to hate your life, that life you got from Adam. But instead of that, they don't read the scriptures properly. That's the problem. In fact, all the stupidity comes because people don't read the scriptures properly. And uh, they hate the wrong thing. You, do you think Jesus went around hating himself and saying, oh, I'm good for nothing, I'm useless? I'm, I'm good for nothing. I've heard some believers say that and they think they're being humble. They're not being humble. They're just listening to the devil. True humility. If you want to learn humility and the cross is the thing that brings us down to humility. Why do I say that? It says Jesus humbled himself, Philippians 2, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That is the depth of humility. So the cross, that depth, 
brings you to the depth of humility. And if you really came there, you would get such abundant grace from God. Because God gives grace to the humble, that you'd get victory over sin. Otherwise, you've got it wrong. I think a lot of people whom I met in my life have understood the cross wrong. The cross is the most important thing we've got to understand. And I hope this evening, if you will take a little pains to try and understand, you will hate what you should hate and not hate what you shouldn't hate. God has not asked me to hate myself. Why should I hate myself? I'm a child of God. I'm a son of a king. God doesn't hate me. Why should I hate myself? God loves me immensely. And therefore, you know, I myself made this mistake. That's what I'm telling you. You know, we think that if I keep on saying rotten things about myself, Oh, I'm such a terrible sinner and I'm good for nothing and I'm this and I'm that, I'm that. That's humility. If that were humility, then Jesus should have been saying that. I never see Jesus saying that. I never see the Apostle Paul saying that. He says, in me, in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. That's okay. I know that in my flesh there dwells nothing good. That's alright. But Paul didn't go around hating himself and hating himself and having such a low opinion about himself that he would have been absolutely useless to God. I think that's what's happened to many people sitting in our churches. They have such a low opinion about themselves. They think that Almighty God can never love somebody like me. And there's so many things wrong with me. I make this mistake, that mistake. I'm always doing wrong. And you meet them. Yeah, brother, sister, I'm doing it wrong. I'm doing it wrong. You see them 20 years later. They're saying the same old thing. Now you've got to stop saying that. You see, I'm a child of God. God knew everything about me before he took me up. Before he married me, he knew what type of a wife I was going to be. And he still married me, Jesus Christ. He knew everything about my future, and he still accepted me. He's never, ever going to turn around to me one day and say, Oh, I never knew you'd do that. Oh, boy, you went and did that, eh? I never thought you would do that. People talk to us like that. But can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? As if he doesn't know the future. He knew all about us when he first chose us. And he's the best husband in the world. Knowing all that you know about your husbands today would still marry him. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus knew all about us and he still said I want to marry you so there's no need for me to feel I'm worthless good for nothing don't ever say that God wants to reduce me to be a nobody so that he can fill me with his glory but I'm not worthless do you think somebody something that you bought in your house uh, paying a tremendous amount of money Supposing you bought a very, very expensive house or you built a very expensive house worth 40 lakhs or something like that. Would you say that's worth nothing? How would you ever say, ah, that's nothing? No, that's the most expensive thing you ever bought in your life. 
and I am one of the most expensive things that God ever bought in his life. You know, one of the most expensive things that God ever bought in his life, you're looking at him right now, and that includes you too. That's what gives me a tremendous sense of worth before God. That I am one of those very, very expensive things that God paid such a tremendous price to buy. And I want to say to you, my dear brother, sister, I don't care how many times you've failed, I don't care how many mistakes you've made, how many blunders you've made, how many stupid things you've done in your life, I still want to say to you today in Jesus' name, you are precious to God. God paid a tremendous price for you. But you don't believe him. You believe all the lies the devil's been telling you. And you think that hating yourself and hating yourself and hating yourself is humility. But it's not humility because you're not getting grace for victory. Wake up. If that was humility, you should have got fantastic grace by now to get victory over sin because God gives grace to the humble. Why aren't you getting that grace? Why are you defeated? Because you have not got humility. That's not humility. That's just demeaning yourself. Demeaning yourself. You got that teaching from some group. Some Christian group. Which has got heathenism and Christianity all mixed together. <coughs> you didn't get it from the Bible. Show me one verse in the Bible which says you got to keep saying that to yourself. Jesus said, learn humility from me. Learn from me, for I am humble of heart. So I don't learn humility from all these groups talking about humility. I learn humility from Jesus. And I never see Jesus going around with his head hanging down saying, I'm rotten, I'm good for nothing, I'm useless, I'm useless, I'm useless. I never see him saying that even once. And I am not going to say that even once. You say, but Jesus didn't sin like me. That's right. But still he was the humblest person on the earth. Which teaches that I don't have to sin in order to be humble. Who said you got to sin in order to be humble? Jesus never sins. And he's the humblest person that ever walked on this earth. And the devil is full of sin and he's not humble. So sin doesn't make anybody humble. The devil is full of sin and he's full of pride. And Jesus never sinned and he's totally humble. Sometimes we think, oh, if I sin, because I sin so much, I'm humble. That's a false humility. No. Learn humility from me, Jesus said. You know, Jesus found his greatest joy, let me say this, in being nothing, so that his Father can be everything. That is true humility. Father, you know, I want everybody to see you in me. Uh, Jesus lived like that on the earth. He said, I don't want people to see me. Father, I came here that other people might see you and know you as a good loving God. And the only way that can happen is if I'm nothing so that you can be everything in my life. It's like emptying the glass so that it can be filled to the glory of God. That is humility. And now we're to follow Jesus. And learn from him and say, Jesus, Lord, I want people to see you in me. I don't want them to see me. And so I want to be nothing so that you can be everything. That's why Jesus said, 
Don't take titles like rabbi, father. No, 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 no. Because that will exalt you. No. Go down. Let's be nothing so that I can be everything in your life. And the brother and sister who's understood that. Lord, I want to be nothing so that you can be everything. You know, supposing God has gifted you in some area. It's very difficult, I'll tell you honestly, it's very difficult to exercise a gift, any gift, in such a way that you don't make other people feel small. It's very easy to preach with such tremendous gift that everybody else feels small. <laughs> then you're not preaching like Jesus. You're preaching yourself. But if you can say, Lord, I, I'm ready to exercise any gift, but I don't want to exercise any gift in such a way that I try to show that I'm bigger than you. I'm not bigger than you. I just want to be a nobody. So Jesus can be everything. That's taking up the cross. That's taking up the cross. It's a wonderful thing. The more you take up the cross, the more you go down, the more Jesus fills your life. Isn't that wonderful? That is the cross. It's so that the life of Jesus can come up in me. I empty myself of the life of Adam. It says Jesus emptied himself. I've got to empty myself of the life of Adam. That's why wherever I see the life of Adam, I say, I don't want that. I don't want that. I hate it. I hate that life of Adam. I don't hate myself. But I hate this life of Adam, which, I, which the Bible calls the flesh, which I'm carrying around with me. I hate it. And every time I hate it and I put it to death, something of the life of Jesus comes forth. So as I said, when somebody has spread some false story about me or my children or done some evil to me, and the life of Adam comes up and it wants to react in a particular way, I say, no, I'm going to be nobody here. I'm going to be nothing so that Jesus can be everything. And then when I meet that person, <laughs> I can act as if he never did any harm to me. And he didn't. Because all things work together for my good in any case. So how can he do any harm to me? How wonderful it is. You can go around like that, meeting everybody on the face of the earth, and you're not afraid to meet anyone. Why is it you avoid meeting some people? Isn't it because the life of Adam comes in you and says, yeah, I don't want to talk to him. The people who can sit like that in a church and talk about taking up the cross and they haven't understood the ABC about the cross. Now I want to tell you this, you can't be a disciple of Jesus then. Because Jesus said, if you don't take up the cross, you cannot be my disciple. Completely out of the question. You cannot be my disciple if you don't take up the cross. The cross is the way of life. You know, like we tell unbelievers, listen, after you die, you won't get another chance to accept Jesus. You won't get another chance to repent. You know what Sadhu Sundar Singh used to say? He really understood that. He said, after you die, you won't get another chance to take up the cross to follow Jesus. This is your only opportunity to take up the cross. You know, the devil has so made us misunderstand what the cross. The cross is meant to make you rich. Rich with the life of Jesus. 
I have read the biographies of some of the greatest saints, whatever biographies are available in English through the years. I would encourage all of you young people to read biographies of great saints of God. When I was a young Christian and I started earning money, I used to use my money every month to buy a little biography uh, of some saints of God. And I used to read that. And I discovered that the greatest saints of God in the history of Christianity were people who understood the way of the cross and embraced it and said, that's the way I want to go. And that brought a longing in my heart. I said, Lord, I want to be a saint of God too. I want to go the way of the cross. Yeah, and that's what opened up the way for me too. I want to encourage you to ask the Lord to show you this way of the cross, the glory of it, the wealth that can come into your life through it, the riches that can come into your life if you choose this way in every situation. You are becoming poor every time you assert the life of Adam. It may be just in your home towards your husband or towards your wife. Every time you do it, you may say, Oh, thank God I didn't lose my testimony. Nobody from the church heard me lose my temper or yell at my wife or husband or um, do this wretched thing in my home. You are getting a satisfaction out of that. You don't realize. You may not have lost your testimony, but you lost something of the glory of Jesus that could have been yours at that time. And that should make you weep before God, even if you haven't lost your testimony. And I believe God tests us like that. Sometimes, you know, when we are in situations where nobody whom we know is around us, it could be in a bus or a train. I'm giving my own testimony where I've been in a bus or a train or it could be in an office that you're working in or somewhere and you react in an unchristlike way in a way you say something and you are satisfied that nobody saw you not for me I have wept I've said Lord I'm sorry nobody saw me so what I displeased you you saw me you saw that I was not a good testimony for Jesus there. I didn't take up the cross. I should have died there. But I didn't die. I asserted myself. And I dishonored you. I brought dishonor to your name. Even though nobody in the church saw me. I couldn't care less. Whether people in the church saw me or not. Father, you saw me. Lord Jesus. I grieved your heart. I didn't go the way you wanted me to go. And there God sees that you really want to go the way of the cross. That's the time he tests you. To see whether you find a satisfaction that nobody in the church saw you behave like that. Or that you have a grief that even though nobody saw you, you brought dishonor to the Lord's name.
And you know the reason why you don't grow spiritually? Could be that. Why so many years have gone by and you've always been happy that your testimony was not lost. And God says, this fellow is not interested in following me. He's only interested in his testimony. Let him have his testimony. And that's all you'll have. And that's all some of you have got. I'm sorry to say, that's all some of you have got. A good testimony in the church. What's the use of that? If you don't have the glory of Jesus in your life. I tell you, I couldn't care less for the, my testimony in the church. I want the glory of Jesus in my life. What's the use having a testimony in the church if I don't have the glory of Jesus day by day? Choose that way, my brothers and sisters. Weep before God every time you did not take up the cross when God gave you an opportunity. God gave you an opportunity to die, to let that flaming sword fall upon you so that you get one more fruit from the tree of life and you didn't get it. You avoided the flaming sword. You went around it and you escaped. Okay. But you didn't get the fruit from the tree of life either. And you go on like that for many years. What happens? You don't grow spiritually. You don't go more Christ-like. You don't get greater revelation from God. Your life is not becoming more and more useful to God. You know, when the Bible speaks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> filled is a relative term. You can fill a cup, <clears throat> like I said the other day. You can fill a bucket. You can fill a river. How does our <clears throat> capacity increase? When we are born again, it's like a cup. I take the cup of salvation, the Bible says, and God fills it. You can be filled with the Spirit the day you're born again, but it's only a cup. If you want that cup to become a bucket and a tub and a lake and a river and many rivers, you've got to take up the cross every time God gives you an opportunity. Every time you take up the cross, your capacity increases. Something of the life of Adam is slain. The cup has become a, a mug. Okay, it's not yet a tub or a bucket or a lake or anything, but it's become a little bigger. And the cup has become a, a mug. Okay, it's not yet a tub or a bucket or a lake or anything, but it's become a little bigger. And then you go on that way, one day it becomes a bucket. And two, three years later, it's like a tub. And when you're filled as a tub, it's different from being filled like a cup the day you were born again. Do you want that increase of capacity? God places you on earth in different situations. And you know, I love to think that the Holy Spirit has such an interest in me that He doesn't put me in a classroom. He gives me private tuition. Isn't it wonderful that he gives us private tuition? He, he doesn't give a general syllabus for everybody. He's got a specific syllabus suited especially for you. Because he knows your temperament, your personality, your weaknesses. He knows mine. He knows my temperament, my weaknesses, my personality. And he's got a special syllabus 
designed especially for me and he arranges all the circumstances in my daily life so that I can be enlarged in my heart and he takes me to some situation and he whispers in my ear die die and I say yes Lord and lo and behold my capacity is enlarged because behind every death there is a resurrection why is it that Jesus said um, I lay down my life nobody can take it away from me I lay it down of my own choice because he was absolutely sure there'd be a resurrection are you sure? You know, if you believe that every time you die you'd get a resurrection we would have chosen death much more often than we did now let me tell you my testimony every time I've died I got a resurrection please believe me and that's made my life tremendously rich it's given me discernment of God's ways understanding of God my father in a way that I would never have known if I had not taken up the cross behind every death there's a resurrection we have not experienced that because we are not willing to die do you think Jesus would have been raised from the dead if he didn't die no we are if Jesus was certain my father will raise me up go ahead and kill me go ahead and kill me he said in three days I'll come out we won't be afraid to die if you're going to be a re the resurrection but if you have some doubt yeah I don't know whether I'll get raised up or not it's like baptism would you allow an enemy to baptize you tell me supposing my enemies your enemy says I'd like to baptize you come you won't let an enemy baptize you the fellow may not lift you up out of the water he just put you down and leave you there why did you submit to baptism many of you were baptized why did you allow somebody to dip you in the water because you knew he won't leave you there he lifts you up that's why we all submitted to baptism do you believe your heavenly father is better than and more reliable than that fellow who baptized you is he more reliable than the fellow who baptized you or not what do you say yes then why can't you submit when he arranges some death for you in some situation in your office or in your home or in the train or the bus somebody cheats you somebody does something to you and the father says die let me dip you now what are you going to do resist no remember the day of your baptism and say father do it you will definitely come out be sure of that and choose the way of the cross the way of humbling yourself the way of going down death to self Lord I want nothing of my self life I don't want to choose my will in anything you know Jesus said in John 6.38 this is another part of taking up the cross John 6.38 <clears throat> John 6 and verse 38 he said I came from heaven not to do my will but the will of him who sent me I've looked at it like this <clears throat> when I was converted I never knew how long I was going to live 
I still don't know how long I'm going to live. But now I can look back over nearly 45 or 44 years since I was sure of my salvation. I don't really know when I was saved. I was sure of my salvation about 44 years ago. Now when I look back, I can say one thing. God did a better job with my life than if I had planned my life myself. I can say that definitely. So I'm very thankful that I allowed God to plan my life and not I myself. My own plan would have been to become a big shot in the military or make a lot of money and become a big man. But God had some other plan. And now when I look back, I say, God, your plan was so much better. So it's something like this. Supposing I have inherited a lot of money. Say I inherited 10 lakhs of rupees. And I don't know how to invest this money. If I just keep that 10 lakh of rupees in the bank, gradually the value of money will go down and I get 4% interest every year and gradually I'll have to be very careful about my expenditure. But supposing there's a chap who's very brilliant in investing money in businesses and different things which are absolutely reliable and who's had a reputation for years that he never loses anybody's money. He's a reliable person and if you give your money to him to invest, he will give you 20, 30, 40, 50% interest every year. Don't you think you'd be a fool to keep your money in a savings bank and get 4% interest when that fellow will give you 50% and he's reliable? Definitely. You'd be a fool to try and manage it yourself. You would say, brother, can you handle this money for me? And he asks, how much? I say, all of it. All of it. Because I trust you. That's what I did with God more than 40 years ago. And that's what I'm asking you to do with your life. You're trying to invest your life. You've been trying to do it, planning your life, making your ambitions. Choosing this, choosing that, choosing the other thing. How much have you produced? How much interest have you got from your life? How much have you produced from your life? Jesus didn't choose that way. He said, from the day he came to earth, he said, I will not do my will. Father, my will can never produce the best result from my life. Always your will. I wish I could convince myself more thoroughly of it and convince all of you thoroughly because this is the cross the central the central part of the cross is death to my choice to my will in everything supposing you got four weeks vacation You take leave from your work. Do you want to ask God how to spend those four weeks? Or do you plan those four weeks yourself? 
and you say well if i ask god oh boy he'll mess it all up he'll tell me to go here and go there and do so many things i won't enjoy myself if god please leave me alone let me just enjoy myself for four weeks uh, vacation i really want to enjoy myself i can plan it you really think so you really think that you can plan your vacation better than a god who loves you who cares for you we think so that's why we don't consult god because we think god is a spoiled sport he's only come to mess up people's lives the devil always says that no don't go and ask god if you got a job for example uh, you know uh, people come to me and sometimes say brother zack i've got an offer for this job and this job uh both are in bangalore i said do you have to do anything wrong in any of these jobs no i don't have to do anything wrong i said then which one pays the higher salary he said this one i said take it is that spiritual <laughs> we always have the idea you go to god god will always say which is the lowest salary one take that who told you that lie about god it's the devil god wants you um brother uh, lord i'm looking at a two bedroom house and a one bedroom house which should i take one bedroom house definitely that's not god that's the devil he's portrayed such a evil picture of a loving father before your eyes that he always thinks that god will always make you choose the miserable one lord i'm thinking of marrying this very pretty girl there's another one who is not so pretty definitely marry the ugly one that's how a lot of people find god's will what a lie and you know you know that's how you feel about god you laugh because it's true in your life in the different situations you feel that i better not ask god because he'll mess up my life He always makes me choose the dirty things which I don't like and the most difficult things in the most miserable way and the most painful thing that's a lie That's not the cross That's not the cross the taking up the cross doesn't mean I marry an ugly girl or a, a choose the lowest salary or live in a small hut that's not the cross not at all The cross is saying lord I don't want my will I want yours because I know that you will choose the best for me. He may not let you marry that pretty girl because she's so proud. She'll make a mess of your life. Maybe that's why he'll say don't marry her. Because he wants you to have a beautiful life. And he may want you to marry a girl who is beautiful inwardly, who loves Jesus, who'll make your life so supremely happy. and you won't regret his choice so if once i'm convinced that god desires the best for me don't you young girls uh, can you believe that your dad if your dad is in the church and is a good father don't you think your dad desires the best for you i'm sure supposing your dad plans something for you don't you think that will be the very best for you 
And you young boys, don't you think if your father who loves you plans something for you that will be the very best here? I'm talking about your earthly father. Would you have any doubt about that? No. Why do you have a reluctance to choose the will of God in everything? I'm not talking about something. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about, for example, you get some extra money. So you got an increment or a bonus. And you say, Lord, do you want to ask God how to spend that money? Oh, I better not ask God because he'll immediately tell me to put it in the offering box. And I don't want to put it in the offering box. I was planning to buy a refrigerator with it. Uh, I want a refrigerator. God will never allow me to believe uh, buy a refrigerator. He tell me to give it for some work in North India or something like that. I better not ask. Best is don't ask God so we don't get into conflict, you know. Uh, if I ask God and he says that and then I say no, it'll be a problem. So best leave him alone. <laughs> don't uh, don't uh, leave him alone. Let me do my own thing and just... You know, that back in the back of our mind, we feel that that is what God will do. And that is why we are reluctant to die to our own choice. I'll tell you something. If God does not allow you to buy something at a particular time, you can be absolutely sure it is for your good. I'll give you, I have said this before, I'll give you a testimony about a very little choice I made in my life 42 years ago that it was a very little thing that changed the direction of my life. <clears throat> I was a young Christian, just baptized. I was earning a lot of money as a naval officer. I wanted to buy an accordion. And those were days when accordions were not being imported into India. <clears throat> you couldn't get accordions anywhere. You still can't get it. Uh, but I said, Lord, uh, it's amazing. I'm really surprised that at that age, I was only 21 years old, I was asking God to find out if it's His will, whether I should buy an accordion. But I'm very thankful I made that. I asked God about it. And I said, Lord, do you want me to buy it or not? And I never heard any voice from heaven. And I didn't know how to find God's will. Does God want me to buy an accordion or not? I didn't know how to find God's will. The only way I knew was like Gideon asking for a sign. I said, Lord, okay, I ask you for a sign. If when I go in there and I ask for the price, the price is below whatever money it was. I don't remember those days, 550 rupees or something. That was a lot of money 42 years ago. If it's below that price, I'll take it. If it's above that price, I won't take it. So I went in. And it was just a little bit above the price. And I had that much money. But now was a test between God and me. Will I keep my word? Or will I say, I've got enough money. Lord, I'm sure an extra 25 rupees and all doesn't really matter, right? I kept my word. I said, God... I said something to you. 
I'll keep it. And though I want very much to buy it, and it's the last accordion in the shop, and by next week somebody would have bought it, I won't buy it. And I went to my room. If I had gone to my room that day with that accordion, I would have spent the next three, four years learning the accordion. Instead of that, I spent the next three, four years studying God's Word because I didn't have an accordion. Today, I know that was the better choice. God didn't give me what I wanted. Thank God for all eternity I will thank Him that He never allowed me to buy an accordion that day in 1961 because it would have I wouldn't be standing here. I'm absolutely sure I wouldn't be standing here. I'd be doing something else. I'd be a musician and probably lost my soul in the pursuit of music. I've seen a lot of people lose their soul in the pursuit of music. So when God denies you something, that's for your very best. And little by little, I haven't always made the right choice. Sometimes I've made wrong choices. I'm sorry to say that, but I've repented. But whenever I've taken up the cross, whenever I've said, God, I don't want my will. I want your will. I've always found He's given me. It's painful. It was pain. It is painful. But He'll give you something wonderful at the end of it. So, my brothers and sisters, how can I encourage you in all situations to humble yourself, turn the other cheek, don't retaliate, don't speak evil of the person who speaks evil of you. If somebody uh, scandalizes you, commit it to God. If somebody harms you, commit it to God who judges all things righteously. God will deal with those who harm you. Don't worry about that. The Bible says, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You think the Lord will not repay? When he has said, I will repay, he will repay. Oh, if you are a true faithful disciple of Jesus, listen to this, everyone here, if you are a true faithful disciple of Jesus, whoever, if anybody harms you, I would not like to be in his shoes. In the day when God repays him, it will be terrible. It will be. But that's not your job. Your job is to forgive him, love him, be good to him. God will repay him. Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith has done me much harm. I will do nothing to him. The Lord will repay him. That's it. Don't waste your time. Trying to pay back people. That is God's business. Your business is to love them. Be good to them. Forgive them. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who harm you. And you know, 
we have to build a church full of disciples like this. What is the use counting your numbers and saying now 300 people are coming to the meeting. So what? Are they all people who are taking up the cross? Are they all people who always say, not my will but thine? Father, tell me what to do with this extra money I got. Tell me what to do in my vacation. Tell me how to spend this extra time. Lord, tell me how to spend my life. Should I buy this or not? I have the money to buy it, but do you want me to buy it or not? Are you building a church? You elder brothers, are you building a church full of people like that? No. Then what's use counting numbers? That's why I stopped counting numbers long ago. You ask me how many believers there are in CFC, I say, I don't know. I've got a rough idea because I know how many chairs there are there. I don't know how many people are there. I don't even know how many exact number of churches we have. I don't count them. Because I say, Lord, it's only disciples that matter to you. And it's only disciples that are going to matter to me. And I don't know how many of the people sitting in the conference are saying, Lord, I want your will in spending my money. I want your will in spending my vacation. I want your will in choosing my job. I want your will in everything in my life. Every day I never want to uh, react the way other people treat me. I want to die. I don't know how many people are doing that. Those are the only disciples. You know, we can look at the register and see how many people came for this conference. That's easy. That is statistics. But how many people sitting here are living this type of life which I just said? That is the true church. That is the true church and that's a very small number. Very small number. But that little number are the people who keep the light burning and who keep the devil outside. Remember that Jesus overcame Satan on the cross. If you take up the cross, Satan will have no power over you. That's the other wonderful thing about taking up the cross. You die in the situations that God calls you to, Satan will not be able to touch you. You know that the only part of you that Satan can touch, listen to this, the only part of you that can, Satan can touch is your flesh. And if you keep on putting your flesh to death, there will be less and less of you that he can touch. Isn't that wonderful? He can't touch the life of Jesus in you. Impossible. The life of Jesus is so full of joy that even in the midst of that cross he could rejoice. And that's the life he's calling you and me to. Don't call, don't say because you have some difficulties in your life that that is your cross. Difficulties everybody has in their life. Some people have a very difficult wife. And they say, brother, that's my cross, my difficult wife. No. I'll say why that's not your cross. Because worldly people have got difficult wives too. You say, I've got a very stubborn son. That's my cross. That's not your cross. Worldly people have got stubborn children too. That's not your cross. Another reason. Listen to this. The cross is something... You choose voluntarily. It's not something put upon you. It's not something put upon you. 
like the Roman soldiers put a cross on that Simon of Cyrene and said, take it. God doesn't force anybody to take up the cross. Jesus always said, if. Remember this, anything that you have not chosen voluntarily is not the cross. Do you get regular headaches? That's not a cross. You didn't choose it, did you? How many of you chose regular headaches? No, nobody chooses regular headaches. Anything that you did not choose is not a cross. A cross is something where you can, which you can avoid if you want, but you don't avoid. You choose it deliberately. That is the way of the cross. And that's what brings enlargement in your life. Like I said, when somebody treats you badly, there are two ways you can choose. You can choose to react the way Adam's children react, or you can choose to react the way Jesus reacted. You have a choice. And you deliberately choose to die to yourself and love that person. That's a cross. But all the things in your life which are difficult, your roof is leaking, that's not a cross. You didn't choose that. Sickness. Some people say, oh, brother, my cross is my sickness. Did you choose your sickness? Worldly people have sickness. That's not a cross. So many people have got a wrong idea what the cross is. The cross is where you deliberately choose, when you have another alternative, you give that up and you choose the way of death to yourself, to your pride, to your plans, to your ambitions, to your reputation, to your rights, because you say, Lord Jesus, that is the way you went. Every time you choose that, you've chosen the cross. You know, you may be an elder brother and somebody insults you. Oh, I've had numerous experiences like that. People who are much, much younger than me. So, speak to me in a rude way. I've had that experience in CFC. Okay? What am I supposed to do? Simple. Die. Die. I say, Lord, who am I that anybody should speak respectfully to me? Let them speak to me as they like. I'm nobody. I die. Who's the loser? They are the losers, not me. I become rich. Die, my brother. Die to your reputation, to your sense of importance to who you think you are, to the opportunities you think you should have that God never gave you or some person did not give you the opportunities you have. You know, even in the church that can be a spirit of competition. I want to do that and I want to get the honor, especially when you're young. Oh, that spirit of competition that is in the athletic field that you learned in school can come into the church. I want to do something. Everybody must know that I did that. I organized that. I planned that. Have you understood the way of the cross? Those are the situations where God says, why don't you die? Why don't you die and humble yourself? Let somebody else get the honor. Let somebody else get the credit. Work behind the scenes and do the job. 
and let somebody else get the credit. I tell you, you will grow up to be a saint. You will grow up to be a mighty servant of God if you choose that way. Because that is the opposite of the spirit of the world where everybody wants to be accepted and to get the honor. That's why we don't grow spiritually. That's why we don't have revelation on God and His Word and prophecy and all the other wonderful things. Shall we choose the way of the cross from today? Let's pray. Well, I'm sure that we are all emotionally stirred to take up the cross right now. But the test will come next week. And the week after. And when you go home. And in different situations in your local church. My dear brother, sister, determine today that you are going to die. You are going to go down, not up. You are going to learn from Jesus, who always went down, who never threatened when he was suffering. Say, Lord, I want to go this way all the days of my life, because I know that behind every cross there is a resurrection. And I want the power of your resurrection in my life. Blessed are all those who decide today that that's the way you're going to walk every day of your life. Let God determine how you spend your days, how you spend your vacation, how you spend your money, how you spend your time. He will make much better, he can in, do a better investment of your time than you can do yourself. He can make a better investment with your life than you can do with your own life. Give your life to Him. Say, Lord, choose my marriage partner for me. I won't choose that. Choose the job, place, everything for me. I don't want my will in anything in my life from today. And every day I'm going to say that to you. I don't want my will. I want to be a disciple. That's how Jesus lived. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will apply these truths to our lives and the different situations that we shall face in the coming days in many, many places. Give us grace to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. You are invited to visit our website on the internet at www.cfcindia.com That is www.cfcindia.com and at punan.org forward slash Zach that is p-o-o-n-e-n -E dot o-r-g forward slash z-a-c for video messages, audio messages and books by Zach Poonen that can all be downloaded freely.
Our mailing address is Christian Fellowship Center, 40 De Costa Square, Bangalore, 560-084, India. If you would like to receive a weekly message by Zach Punin by email, please go to our website and send us an email to the address given there. The Lord bless you richly.